Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. This episode is brought to you by Sleep Number. Sleep Number beds allow you to adjust on each side to your ideal firmness, comfort, and support. And with Sleep IQ technology inside the bed, it tracks how you're sleeping and gives you personalized insights for your best sleep. Stick around. (laughs) You stick around. Later in the episode to hear a special segment from us and Sleep Number. Bye. Everybody loves a lover. I'm a lover. Everybody loves me. Anyhow, that's Hello, dear listener, and welcome to another installment of In Bed with Nick and Megan, starring Nick Offerman and featuring Megan Mullally. Whoop, whoop. (laughs) All right. It's some of the most impressive supporting work I've seen in the podcast landscape. Oh, you flatter me. So much so that I would insist we dedicate this episode to the origin story, everything, all things Megan Mullally, the early years, the beginning. So I feel, I feel like your supporting work really is above and beyond. I mean, I don't know how you even still fit in that category. Oh, that's very sweet of you. I appreciate that. It moves me to declare that today's episode should be entitled All Things Megan Mullally, the beginning. Ah, oh, don't throw me any crumbs. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not throwing you any crumbs, but I am throwing our listeners a delicious Reuben sandwich. Uh-oh. Followed by some surprises. Shall we start at the very beginning? Yeah, kick us off. Start me out. I was born. Okay. In Los Angeles. What surprise ending to that sentence. Cue fireworks sound effects. Yeah. I was born in Los Angeles. Uh to a man and a woman and um weirder and weirder right and lived here till i was one lived in gross point michigan from one to two that's right um impressed came back lived in costa mesa california to be near my grandparents who lived in newport beach till i was six moved to oklahoma city on my sixth birthday wow and went to uh, the same school. I went to a, a different kindergarten, and then I went to uh, the same school, f- private school called Cassidy in Oklahoma City from first grade through 12th grade. No kidding. And I, I have since visited that school, and it is a very nice private school. It has its own lake. Yeah, it's pretty fancy. It looks like a college campus in a lot of ways. Do you have any stories uh, from your youth? I don't have any stories, no. Um, well, uh, I happen to know some, so let me see if I can eke them out of you. Okay. Uh, sort of to describe the flavor of your childhood, do you have any stories centered around that lake? 
I do, yes. Um, we used to skate on that lake, or people used to skate on that lake when it froze over in the winter. Um, obviously not in the summer when it wasn't frozen over. It would have been hard to skate. Um, I never really mastered, mastered ice skating. But my friend Anna was a good skater, although she did fall and hit her head and everybody was scared. But she was fine. But then when I was in probably, I'm going to say ninth or 10th grade, mm -hmm. I have an older cousin named Anne who I idolized. And she had kind of fallen to rack and ruin at that point already, although I didn't realize it because she had... Her boyfriend was a big um, druggie. And so, hence, when I was with them, which was every chance I got, but they lived in Tulsa, a uh, different city, they, I, they would just give me whatever drugs they were doing, and I would just take them without question. Hmm. And at one point, they sent me home with a care package of a couple of quaaludes, and I took about a quarter of a quaalude one day at school and we were over by the, the by the lake we'd sort of gone to the far side where we thought we could maybe sneak a cigarette so i was under the influence of a quarter of a quaalude and i saw a gaggle of ducks we had ducks and geese on the lake it's really they call it, it's more of a pond um a large pond and um uh, so I thought it would be an amazing idea to take a running leap into the center of this group of ducks. Sure. And I did. And I was a, in a ballet company at the time, and I took quite a good, I got quite a lot of momentum behind me and just landed in the dirt on my face. I thought, well, that wasn't as fun as I thought it was going to be. And then I went to my history class and laid my head down on the desk and passed out. A cautionary tale. Yeah. Those were really the only drugs that I ever did, though, during that time when my cousin would give them to me. I was very skeptical, skeptical about drugs unless they were handed to me directly from her hand. That makes sense. Yeah. Did anything happen uh, around the pond at an earlier date involving witchcraft? Oh, sure. On the playground, which was close to the pond or the lake, um... There was a bush that you could get inside of, and I discovered that, and I got inside of it, and a lot of boys came in with me, and they were all my servants. I was the queen, and they were there to do my bidding, and I would send them out on tasks. Fetch me a stick, and one would scurry out and come back with a stick. Is that where you got all the, those rock. sticks? That's where, yeah, those sticks that I have um, the, in the bed with us every yeah. night. Yeah. Oh, that's a great origin story. Thanks. Uh, and so, I mean... And that, really, that dynamic has never changed for me. It's never left me. No, I, I, I am now your fetcher of sticks. That's right. Your one and only. Yeah. Um, did you, uh, did you have a lot of friends when you were a kid, or like, were you out and about, or did you were you more of a 
I what, was what did you do for a good time? Child, um, I was an only child. Uh, I will say that. Well, we'll get to boyfriends later. Um, That's okay. We will. Mm. Uh, I, I think I we're running out of time. I had a boyfriend from the time I was when we lived in Costa Mesa, so I was probably three or four. There was a little boy who had come over dressed up in a suit with short pants <laughs> and a bow tie, and he would ply his troth to me. Hmm. Um, so I started early. But I was an only child, and I spent a lot of time alone in my bedroom with the door closed, making up dances and stories putting them to music, which is basically what I'm still doing right now with Nancy and Beth, my, my bond, my band. And, uh, but I also had a fervent belief in elves and fairies. So I did spend quite a lot of time on my own seeing elves and fairies. <laughs> I built fairyland under my bed one time out of just small items mm -hmm. that you'd find around the house. And I, I got it all set up, and I took a break, and I looked back under, and they were all in there. Sure. In the town, the town was booming. And um, it was just tough because I was so drawn to the idea of elves and fairies, and I wanted to play elves and fairies with my friends. But, of course, my friends were not as drawn to the idea as I was, and they couldn't see elves and fairies, and so... There was some opposition. I met with some opposition. My friends, particularly my friends from the neighborhood, who were my, my first really good friends, and I would run around and play. Rather than school friends, you know, you've got your friends on the block. Right. They weren't having the whole elves and fairies thing. Do you remember um, where that started? Like what, you know, where did you first I had a book. come into contact? I had a book called... Elves and fairies. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm pretty sure I got that it from that. That seems like a pretty clear and, source. <laughs> and the book, I still have it. Um, you can find it. It's a little golden book, but it's a big little golden book. Mm -hmm. uh, and it has the most incredible illustrations. And I was just so, I'm, I, I guess even then I was such a vis visual person, um, I was just, it captured my imagination. I was so taken in by these illustrations. And, um, you know, one of them was of a little girl asleep in her bed and all the fairies are like around her and they're all glowing with their little wands and their beautiful dresses and little shoes. And they're, these little glowing orbs of beautiful fairies are all hovering around her as she sleeps. Stuff like that. I mean, you're not going to be able to get past that if you're a five-year-old girl it's just not going to happen you're, no. you're going to get taken in by that by the fairy magic yeah so i would say from the time i was definitely from the time i was six maybe not five but six when we got to oklahoma city and i don't know eight or nine i was still pretty into the elves and fairies maybe a little even past that and i don't know Maybe not. And, and you said you spent a lot of time I think by then I was into the monkey. I was into Davy Jones of the monkeys by the time I was nine or ten. And I was spending a lot of time kissing my pillow and imagining it was Davy Jones. I, I, could, I could see a case being made for 
Davy Jones having some elf blood. Yeah, I remember my friend Hillary Hughes and I would do that. We would spend a lot of time doing that, and then we'd take a break, and I would eat mustard sandwiches, and she would eat ketchup sandwiches. Hmm. This explains a lot. Doesn't it? Uh, just, just yellow mustard on bread? Yeah. Frenches. I <laughs> <laughs> um, already knew the answer to that question. So... You said you spent a lot of time in your room making up songs and creating acting and, scenes and dances. And, and dances. So, um, and uh, and and we've heard your story in another podcast of your coming out when you presented yourself as the world's greatest clown mm -hmm. at age three, I think it was. Yeah. So w when did you, um, you know, you spent all this time sort of performing your 10,000 hours of preparation in your room, when, when did you then come out publicly as a performer? Well, I was in a ballet company. Um, I'd done a couple of summer seasons of summer stock in Oklahoma City at the Lyric Theater. And I was in a ballet company from ninth grade through 12th grade. But when I was in a senior in high school, the I was the choir director at our school, the choir directors at our school. I was in choir for a little while, but I don't think I was in choir even senior year, but they they had come to understand that I could sing mm. and they encouraged me. They thought that I could sing a little bit better than normal. And so they said, well, you should sing some show tunes at chapel. We had chapel every morning. First thing, because it was an Episcopal school, I'm not an Episcopalian, but it was an Episcopal school. We had to go to chapel, which usually consisted of nothing religious. But um, but all the students would all gather. All the students from ninth through 12th grade upper school were there. So it was, you know, I don't know, 250 kids or whatever. And just to set the scene, this is basically like the church attached to the school. It's a little, it's a little chapel. It's right. this beautiful, small, uh, lovely little chapel. And um, so it was maybe 300 kids, actually, closer to. And, you know, the, the last thing you really want to do when you're, that, when you're in high school is stand up in front of everybody in your school and perform a talent mm -hmm. because it could end in, you know, permanent scarring for life. Yeah. And um, as opposed to the scarring for life that's not permanent. That's You've right. You've heard of it. Um, and so... What did I do but at the behest of the choir directors pick three show tunes which were in this order Don't Rain on My Parade, Barbara Streisand, <laughs> literally the most difficult, difficult song to sing in the entire history of singing. <laughs> Huge, belting, crazy song with like 14 different chapters of like different styles of singing and like acting things out and like 50,000 lyrics. It's really fast. People, Barbara Streisand, which is another ridiculous choice because it's like a tour de force. It's the song that Barbara Streisand is the most famous for singing. It's like you don't, she was thought to be the greatest singer who ever lived right at the moment that I decided to do this. And that was her, the favorite song of hers. Yeah. And I decided, well, I'm going to do it. What's the problem? It'll be great. <laughs> yeah. 
Closing with a song from the musical Chicago called Razzle Dazzle, which I fully choreographed and which culminated in my sitting down on the lap of the principal and basically what I now realize, lap dancing him. Although that term hadn't been coined at this mm -hmm. time because this was 1977, but I did it. So I, I, I choreographed a dance in the style of Bob Fosse including high kicks and like pelvic gyrations, pelvic thrusts and... Oh. Anyway, um, I did the first song, um, Don't Rain on My Parade, and it's a big belty show tune, and I got done, and there was a split second of silence, and then the whole student body burst into screaming cheers and were like stomping their feet and throwing their, it was February, throwing their winter caps, uh, winter, you know, knit hats and scarves up into the air. That's what I remember most is the things flying up in the air. So. I'd, I'd say that was a pretty good signal. It went well, from yeah, the it went really well. And, and, you know, I had been so nervous. I, I didn't sleep for three nights before. I mean, I was just a wreck. But it went great, and then from then on, I, I felt like I could, you know, sing in front of people. And we're all the better for it. Well, um, funny story. I sing, because nobody knows that I do, except for some Broadway people, but I do. And um, yeah, I've actually done three Broadway musicals. Um, two of them were pre-Well and Grace. One of them has been post-Well and Grace. And I've done a Broadway play and a couple things off Broadway. I also did, yeah, doesn't matter. Um, I think we'll get to that in a later chapter oh. <laughs> of All About Megan. It's going to be 17 chapters. So you, you've come out, you know, you've, you've had your debut uh, in the chapel as a, a very effective show person. So then from, from that glorious day to, you know, uh, to your further education, like I know, I know you ended up going to Northwestern University, but not to study a performing art. Right. Well, I initially went there. I wasn't going to go to college. I didn't want to go to college. I wanted to move to New York and audition for Broadway musicals. Because before you got to Northwestern, like between your debut in the chapel and college, what what was your artistic training? Um, none. We didn't. They didn't have. I'm, th I'm thinking of. Oh, ballet. Uh, some work in New York City. Oh yeah, so so I was in this. I was very extremely obsessed with ballet um, when I was uh, in junior high and high school, and it was in the seventies when ballet was a really big deal. It was like a pop cultural phenomenon. You know, ballet dancers were superstars like Baryshnikov and Gelsey Kirkland. I mean, everybody wanted to know every detail of their love lives and you know it was a thing and um i started i started ballet lessons when i was six my mom put me in ballet class and so i'd been taking ballet that whole time and then they started a ballet company in oklahoma city which they'd never there'd never been a ballet company 
before in Oklahoma. And um, so I, I was in the first year of the first company. Uh, and it was called the Metropolitan Ballet, and now it's called Ballet Oklahoma. So I did that, and I, in the summers, um, I was, you know, I was pretty, pretty good at it. And in the summers, my mom, I, I got um, accepted at the School of American Ballet in New, in New York City, which is New York City Ballet's school, where they, you know, they run it and they train people there and they draw from that for their company. And New York City Ballet is the best American ballet company, in my opinion. And always has been. It was Balanchine was the famous choreographer and artistic director. So that's the company that Baryshnikov and all those people came out of. And um, so I got to study there for two summers. And my mom went with me. I was 16 and 17. And my mom took me to um, all these Broadway shows and ballets. So I got to see all the great dancers dance like you know, Nureyev and Edward Valella and Brishnikov, Kelsey Kirkland, I mean, everybody. And um, they also took classes at the same, sometimes they would, like, Kelsey Kirkland, like, took our class once, my class, which was crazy. And um, so I got this great exposure to, uh, you know, culture. The first show I saw on Broadway was the original production of Chicago with Gwen Verdon and Cheetah Rivera, that's why I did that song, Razzle Dazzle, because I was so captivated by that show and everything about it. And, um, you know, so I just, I, 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 yes, so I was very lucky to have this great uh, experience and also to be become really good friends with all these girls in my class, most of whom were from, you know, whichever borough of New York. Um, they were much more kind of, a little more sophisticated and worldly than I was, um, but they were still young girls. I mean, they weren't crazy sophisticated. So that was a really great advantage. Yeah, both culturally, I mean, to get the ballet training, but also to just experience New York City as a teenager and yeah. have your a mom with the wherewithal to take you to shows. And, you know, that to me, uh, at that age, that would have seemed like traveling to the lost city of Atlantis or something. Yeah, it was. It just seemed crazy. Yeah, it was great. Okay. My mom and I had fun, too. All right, so then, so tell me, so you're uh, super into ballet, and, and you've had this prestigious training, and now it's time to pick a college. Mm -hmm. So walk me through that process. Well, um, I didn't want to go to college, and I... My mom said, um, well, I'll make a deal with you. Apply to one college, and if you don't get in, then um, I'll help you, know, help you get set up in New York. And so I, I picked Northwestern, and I laid down on the floor of my room at like 1.30 in the morning, and I wrote the most bullshit essay in the history of college applications because I didn't want to get accepted particularly, wanted to go to New York, but then I got accepted. So I'd love to see if Northwestern has that college application. I'm sure they don't, 
but it would be hilarious to read what it, I wrote because it was complete bullshit. It would be. Do, do you remember why you picked Northwestern? We had, my mom had heard that it was the best school for, you know, aspiring whatever I was, showbiz. Performers. Yeah. But I mean, you know, we didn't really have showbiz in Oklahoma City. It hadn't been invented yet. Um, there was no acting class or... I was the only person in my school that I'm aware of who was actively pursuing the arts. Yeah. Everybody else was just getting their, you know, uh, preppy looks together for their future careers as alcoholic Republicans. Mm. <laughs> not to put too fine a point on it. No, not at all. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. So uh, this is, to me, a, a really rich chapter in your life. So you get to Northwestern. And what's... So I, I should talk about my parents just a little bit. Okay. Well, I was an only child, and um, my my dad was a really serious alcoholic and uh, also had a second career as a womanizer. And so that informed, like, that is probably the most important thing about what, you know, sent me in whichever direction I went in because I, um, he was also a, had been an aspiring actor and he was very funny and he was very weird, weird, like dark humor and kind of, um, meta. (laughs) And he really committed, he did bits and they were big and he committed to them. So that was happening. And, And we did, my mom and I thought he was a scream until he was, you know, um, Until he was screaming. Screaming at me. Uh, yeah. So the bottom line is, uh, you know, alcoholism has an effect on your children. Whether you think it is having an effect or not, it is. Even if you think they don't know about it or you've hidden it from them, which my father didn't do, but um, it has a drastic effect. And also my father's wandering ways had a big effect on me because my mom would try to recruit me to be her second in command of the detective squad because she was always trying to figure out who my dad was with or where he was, what was going on. And and then she would enlist me to like perform certain tasks in the investigative uh, arts. So that was also not cool. But my father wasn't he didn't sexually molest me. He was emotionally and verbally abusive. And it was pretty much every day. And it was pretty much full tilt. Like it wasn't, there were no half measures. 
but the bottom the 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 thrust of it is that I I couldn't ever seem to do anything right no matter what I did it wasn't right it wasn't what he wanted so that I think it needs to be said because you know who knows what I'd be doing today if I grew up with you know perfect adorable parents true and my mom was extremely supportive of me creatively and she did give me you know she gave me lessons and all these things like ballet um, and was very supportive and she had a great interest in the arts herself she just had an interest in the arts and passed that along to me but you know I think like when you're when you're a kid you don't realize it but as you get older you think well my mom was wonderful but why did she stay with my father? Mm-hmm. You know, why did she subject me to his terror? I mean, it was a reign of terror. And why did I have to live in that house with him for that many years? I mean, they yeah. finally split up when I was a freshman in college. But, you know, I would have liked to have lived somewhere where he wasn't living. That would have been better. Yeah, I mean, it sounds... I'm not blaming my mom because those kinds of people can take a person like my mom who is so sweet and they can really like they they draw you in they get you it's like he's a a narcissist my dad they they get you they woo you and they're perfect and then once they have you where they want you then they don't want then they want to bring you down and so he that's what he spent a lot of time doing with my mom and the thing about the other person who's not the narcissist who's in the abusive who's not the you know the abuser um the thing about those people is that they're always thinking but he was he loved me i know he loves me Uh, when we first were together nobody's ever said the things that he said to me nobody's ever loved me the way he loved me and so they spend all this time trying to get it back. Right. And sometimes it does come back from it. Once the abuser has gone so low that they, they think, uh-oh, she's not going to forgive me this time. Then they get real nice. Right. And then then they get you back where they want you. And then they it's they repeat the cycle of abuse over and over and over. Well, that must have been harrowing to grow up with that. It wasn't great. No, it wasn't good. And it then affected me in every area. Um well, it, it, it didn't really affect me in terms of my my career because I, I, I could just compart I can compartmentalize like nobody's business. I still can. But it really affected me in relationships. Yeah. Yeah. As you know. <laughs> you don't say. <laughs> mm, um I I think it's been a little better since you and I've been together. I have no complaints. <laughs> and it's, I mean, you know, I, I, I bring my baggage to the, you know, any two people bring their history. And the, it's something to always remember is that things that happen to you in your life aren't your fault, you know? And if, if there are um, uh, visible effects from, from your past, that's part of the deal and where you know I, ha- I have all my extra body parts that you have to deal with <laughs> that most people find disgusting yeah my tusk i like the claws actually 
Let's take a brief kissing break. Yeah. Clover is showering Nick with uh, kisses, even though I'm the one who had the bad childhood. I know. You're the one doing Thanks, all the Clover. work on this episode. <laughs> she's she's thanking really makes me, me feel better. for asking just the right questions. <laughs> Uh, so the, the summer after my senior year in high school, during my senior year in high school, I had met, or I had been contacted by a guy who was about five years older, who had gone to a a different high school in Oklahoma city. He had heard that I was a singer and he won, he was trying to find a singer to go out. He had this guitar player that he'd somehow met and he was kind of producing this summer thing where we would go out to a club in Westwood and... Um, Westwood, California. Westwood, California, which in the 70s was the only place to be in Los Angeles. It was like the groovy part of town. Um, and for the listener, it's it's a neighborhood west of Beverly Hills where UCLA is located. Yeah. So um, I spent the summer after my senior year singing in a nightclub in Westwood, California, Los Angeles, called Yesterdays. And me and this guitar player did pretty much every Fleetwood Mac song that had ever been recorded to date. (laughs) (laughs) We did the whole, like, Rhiannon album it's so crazy when I think about it. Have it's you so considered bad. doing any Stevie Nicks songs with Nancy and Beth? No. <laughs> no. They're somewhere in the middle. We only we don't do middle songs. Right. We do. I get that. Right or left. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so that was a crazy summer. And um, I'm so surprised that my parents, who were so... My mom was so pre- overly protective of me that she let me do that. But I realized after the fact that that was the summer that my parents probably had, I think, had decided to get rid of me so that they could spend some time together and figure out if they were going to get divorced or not. Okay. Because it was right after that that they did. And would there be anything to, I mean, your mom had lived in Los Angeles uh, before you were born. Is is there anything to, was she maybe thinking, you know, this could be a good career yeah, advancement for she, you? She definitely did think that, but I just can't believe she let me go out there by myself, but I was 18, so. It's pretty, I mean, no, I, I am with you. That's a crazy with, notion. Because I went out with these two older guys. I mean, I went out with this 23-year-old guy um, who was the sort of manager, and then I went out with the the guitar player who was like 25 or 26. I shared a room, twin beds, with the guitar player who was a a married guy from, uh, I don't remember, Bend. Bend, Oregon? Maybe. That sounds right. Crazy. And then we, we were living in another whole other guy's apartment, so... You know, the shit went down. <laughs> I mean, yeah, your virginity lost. A uh, another uh, another quaalude story. Well, that was really my only two quaalude stories, but I I did lose my virginity. You made on a half count. a quaalude. A face plant. To the manager. 
and then uh, flip a flipped over situation. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm glad that you made it out of that situation, you know, with your sanity uh, and safety, because Los Angeles in the '70s, as a beautiful 18-year-old, innocent. Um, things could have gone in a much uglier way. Yeah, the guy who owned the apartment that we were staying in um, made advances one day when everybody else was gone. And he made some headway, but he performed an act on me that had never been performed. And then he wanted, this is before I lost my virginity, then he wanted me to reciprocate. And I was like, are you high? No. And then he got really mad and did not speak to me or look at me for the entire rest of the summer that we lived there. So that was not cool because I was 18 and he was like 23 or 24 yeah. years old, maybe he, 25. He, he might have benefited from a brochure on consent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I didn't. He asked me to do something to him. I was like, what are you talking? I didn't even know what he was talking about. I mean, I wasn't sophisticated. Mm. I, would, I, I was very, um, I didn't trust men. And so in high school, I didn't let anybody near me. I mean, I'd kissed guys. That was it, yeah. really. Did he throw anything at you? Huh? Did he throw anything at you? I don't get it. Didn't, isn't that the guy that threw his car keys at oh, you? Oh, no. After... Right. So um, after I lost, I, so I lost my virginity to this guy, Fred. Ugh, why was his name Fred? But it was. <laughs> um, the manager of yesterday's where we, where we played was named, was a failed actor named Brick Houston. That's Brick, as in the thing that your house is built out of. Houston. And um, we were at his house in like Redondo Beach or something. And I lost my virginity on his white couch, which Oof. is not white anymore. Mm. Um, and after that happened, the next day, I told Fred that I had been a virgin and he laughed disbelievingly. And so I threw a big ring of car keys at his head and oh. unfortunately missed. But then, when he was 40, his dog died and he killed himself. <laughs> yeah, okay. So I guess the joke's on somebody? Yeah. Yeah, I guess he should have taken a blow to the head. I guess. And things might have turned out differently. I think he, I don't know why he killed himself. I mean, he, I know he, his dog died. That's all I heard. So was and he was really close to his dog. Was this the summer right before college? It was the summer right before college. So I didn't want to come back, even though I'd had these terrible experiences. I didn't want to come back. My mom had to come out. Rhonda, my friend Rhonda from Oklahoma City, who I've known since first grade, had come out. She was out there with me. And at this point, we were staying in a motel um, that had a pool. I think it was that round one that, I, that we always go by. Oh, yeah. Off of Sunset. Yeah. Off of the 405. Um, we were staying there, and my mom came out. 
to drag us back because I was supposed to go back and do uh, a show at the Summerstock Theater, the last show of the season. I'd been hired to play like an actual role in that, not be in the ensemble, but to have an actual part. And I didn't want to go. And she said, well, the theater's going to sue you. They weren't. But she told me that and I believed her and it scared me. So I went back and Rhonda went with me. And all my clothes got stolen. The guitar player had met um, a girl and she stole all my clothes out of the back of the van. Because, of course, there was a van involved in this story. Don't yeah. ever think for a second there wasn't. There was. Oh, also the guitar player, I had to share that room with him. And he put the moves on me and I, I successfully fended him off. And then he would very aggressively go to his twin bed and <laughs> jerk off in the most in the loudest like how loud could uh, it be to jerk off but i mean it was just in a room deafening. in the room you shared tiny room with two twin beds the oh other God. twin bed being you know six feet from me uh, oh gross uh to lesson to the listener if you're sharing a room with a young teenage singer and she she doesn't accept your advances have the decency to masturbate quietly. Yeah, please silence your silence your role. And then um, the only other detail that I remember that was kind of funny was when we were playing one night. Arnold Schwarzenegger came into the class. Wow! And everybody was all a Twitter, and I think he was with Maria Shriver, but it was before they got married. That is memorable. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, I mean that would be like he a, was still basically a weightlifter, a like he hadn't started acting rolling yet. Through the front door. Yeah. Remember when I sat next to him at Barney's and we tried on boots together? Oh, I've somehow managed to. To forget that tidbit. Yes. Oh, yeah, no, I do kind of remember it now that you say it. Oh, weird. I made him laugh. I, I remember being at Barney's uh, one time with my mom on a special errand to buy you some dress shirts because you owned zero of them and we had to go somewhere. Mm -hmm. This was early ish on in our relationship. And um, I opened up my Verizon flip phone. And I pushed a button on this to call. I was going to call you to find out what your neck size was. Mm -hmm. My mom was standing right there, and I looked at the screen, and it was a photo that you'd taken uh, from underneath of your package and put on as my screensaver. <laughs> so it was a weird upside down of your balls. Yeah. So that was that made an impression. Those I'm early wrong. flip phones were really fun for hijinks. <laughs> <laughs> Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. Good times. All right, so then I went to Northwestern. Yeah. And... I'd never seen a lot of things. I'd never, you know, I was supposed to be a theater major. 
I only lasted for the first trimester of freshman year before I transferred out because everybody was so, I was so shy and inhibited. And there were all these like real theater kids. And that was what they did. They were already just like in it to win it. And I was so mortified by the whole thing. I was mortified by them. I was mortified by everything we were asked to do in the acting class. Like roll across the floor. It's like, I'm not rolling across the, why? Why would I roll across the floor? Why are you pretending you're a tumbleweed? I was like, I'm not a tumbleweed. Why would I be a tumble? I mean, I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. So, um, but I did make a lot of friends. I, I did end up be, being friends with a lot of the theater people. But I, I studied primarily English and art history, and I only went to college for two years. Um, I got cast in a professional show. I got cast in a musical um, directed by this young guy who is now the, he's like a huge person in American theater. His name's Robert Falls, Bob Falls. And at the time he, he and I were, I mean, he was only, I was 20 and he was 24 or 25. Mm -hmm. um, and he had this little theater outside of Chicago. It wasn't a professional theater. It was like an equity waiver thing. And I got cast in this musical playing a 16-year-old runaway girl. And I had a big song. And the show was a huge hit. It was about a supermarket bag boy. And um, it was a huge hit. And it moved downtown. And everybody got their equity cards, meaning it became we all became professional actors. Yeah, union, union card. Union card. And um, I dropped, I went back, I tried to go back for my junior year while I was doing this play downtown, this musical, eight shows a week. And I was having a really hard time, like getting my school, my, you know, homework done and writing papers. And I went in to talk to the dean and I said, look, this is just, you know, I'm going back and forth to Chicago, eight, eight shows a week and I'm trying to take class. I'm trying to, you know, she said, drop out. <laughs> the dean, uh, I said, excuse me. She said, drop out. I mean, you know, you came here to learn things about performing and now you're doing it professionally and you're not even taking classes. There are performance classes. So what's the, you know. Yeah. Do the math. Yeah. That was a good advice. I thought so too. It really was some of the best advice I ever got. And then uh, did you continue to work more in Chicago? What was going on there? I, um, I did. I've always, I've, I've been very fortunate. Um, I've never really had jobs that weren't performance oriented. So I, I, that show was a big hit and that meant that everybody saw, everybody in Chicago theater saw it and then knew who I was and hired me for their sh other different shows. So I, I worked pretty much nonstop back to back, um, plays or musicals in Chicago for six years. And I also got into the jingle world Ooh. at one point and sang jingles and made pretty good money doing that. Um, but that, and then that's it. And I, I started dating this guy named Joe. And he wanted to move to Los Angeles and see what was happening there. And I'd wanted to move to New York. And he said, well, I'll make you a deal. We'll, we'll go to Los Angeles for a month and then we'll go to New York for a month. And so I said, yes. But then 
I'd already been flown out to Los Angeles a few times for screen tests for things. Like I tested for the lead and risky business and I was out, it was a really big deal test. I was out there for like two, out here for two weeks. Wow. Had all these extensive, you know. That was a big movie. Yeah, it was a whole big, I don't think they do, they don't do screen tests like that anymore. I mean, this was such a big thing. I mean, they don't spend that kind of money. Like you, right. you put yourself on tape or you come in and audition and that's kind of it. But yeah, they flew me out with another actor from Chicago who was up for the Tom Cruise part. And um, we were out there, out here for two weeks and did this whole big thing. And spoiler alert, neither one of us got it. Um, but then they put me in in this, well, anyway, so... Um, I moved out to, and there were a few other big movies that I had tested for the lead in. So when I got out here, people already kind of knew me. Some casting directors and agents knew who I was, and I'd already been um, pursued by uh, a, a few agents. I'd had, you know, just cold calls in my apartment in Chicago from big Hollywood agents. Wow. So I came out, and I got signed at William Morris right away. And my boyfriend who I'd moved out with didn't, and he didn't think it was very funny. So he went back to Chicago to be with his parents because he was Italian. Okay. He missed the sauce. He missed the sauce. He's, he, missed, he was a nice guy. He though. missed his mama's meatballs. He missed meatballs. the pizza pie. <laughs> it's racist. Well, I... I um. I find that that entire arc very gratifying because it led you. It's interesting. I also wanted to go to New York instead of L.A. And my girlfriend at the time said, no, we have to move to Los Angeles. And I agreed. And she didn't even make it here. She flaked out. But I already had everything in place. So I came to L.A. myself. And thankfully... We both did because mm -hmm. here we are in our yeah, bed. Right, doing a doing a pcast. And I, I think that's a good place to draw the curtain mm. on all things Megan Mullally, the beginning. Thank you to all of our listeners, and uh, as always, I wish peace to all the good people of the planet Earth. I'd like to say. Thank you for tuning in to tuning your ears, putting your ears on for yet another installment of In Bed with Nick and Megan, starring Nick Offerman, featuring Megan Mullally. Good night. It's funny every time. Bed with Nick and Megan is an Earwolf production. It's produced by Megan Mullally, Kevin Bartelt, and Michael Landry. Executive produced by Colin Anderson and Chris Bannon. Music by Nancy and Beth, which can be found at www.nancyandbeth.com. If you enjoyed In Bed with Nick and Megan, make sure to rate it and review the show on Apple Podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Sleep Number. Sleep is vital for healthy living, That's I always true. say. Yeah, you do always say that. It strengthens immunity, it increases the ability to focus, it sharpens cognitive function, and other things. It improves types of health, like physical health. 
or emotional health. If, I'm so sick of you saying all of this that it's I, okay. I'm going to try to keep my temper in I check. Mean, sleep, sleep's a big deal. <laughs> oh man! But you know what else? Um, what else? Well, there are other things that happen in a bed. Don't go there. Oh. That's dirty. There are other things besides that too. Sure, it's we. I mean, a very important place. It's the nerve center of our household. Yeah, we we do a lot in that bed. We've had a lot of um, heavy duty talks in there and fun talks. Yep, well, it's where we have a, a, an entire spectrum of talks. Our, we play with our dogs a lot. Yeah, on the bed, we they do, romp and play. We do our taxes on the bed. We throw blankets and pillows over their head. We do our taxes on the bed. Oh, what could be better? Yeah. Um, and I'm t- I know we've had a, a rough patch, but next year I think we're going to see some money back. <laughs> what about um, the dogs romping and cavorting? That's a lot of fun. Some people pr- might not want their dogs on the bed, but we, we do want them. Some people's dogs, let's face it, are assholes. And we they- have one dog that sleeps in the bed with us. That's right. The other two dogs have to go away somewhere. Um, go to a hotel. It's, um, a, it's a hungry dog that sleeps in our bed. We're talking about my genitals. We actually... Oh. Is that, is that not what you meant? That's really not what I was thinking of. No. Fortunately, I the was great, not thinking of that. The Great Dane. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, but... You know, another really important, really important thing that happens in our bed is mm. we record our very podcast in that's right self same bed, which happens to be now a sleep number. We got a sleep number, freaking smart bed, three sixty, all the bells and whistles, super three sixty uh, lightning. Yeah, I like to go into zero gravity mode on that puppy. Because they have a thing called zero gravity, and it is cute. I've never been an astronaut, but I think it's probably the next best thing. It's one, yeah. Once we tried that sleep number bed out, it's one of those things that I always thought, nah, I, I sleep fine. And then, and then, as soon as we tried that sleep number bed out, <laughs> I said, <laughs> oh, you can adjust. You can literally adjust this like the fit of a pair of jeans, and, uh, and it will adjust for you when you're. Sleeping. Yeah, that's crazy. Which is so crazy. Yeah, robot bed. What could what could go wrong? You got the little heating pad for your feet. Self driving bed. It cools you off. It heats you up. It does whatever you want. You basically. name it. Cools you off. I wish it would do the podcast for us. Do you think it can interview celebrities? I think I think it, uh, it falls short when it comes to personality. Well, it has a definite personality, but maybe it just doesn't speak as well as we would need it to. You make a fair point. Yeah. Um, Once again, we're agreeing in bed. <laughs> what else do we do in bed? I mean, that's a lot. We yeah. sleep. We sleep. And we, 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 we talk. We brainstorm. We brainstorm. We spitball. We spitball. We do our taxes. Yeah. You know, I just, I don't want to lie. We don't do our own taxes. Oops, did I say that out loud? But we make our accountant come and lay in our sleep number bed to do our taxes. That's what so I, I think meant. that's what yeah. you meant. Yeah, I just wanted to clarify that. Obviously. Yeah. Discover smart, effortless comfort with the sleep number 360 smart bed. This is not a bed, it's proven quality sleep. 
Come in now and save up to $600 on select Sleep Number 360 smart beds. For limited time, only at Sleep Number Store or sleepnumber.com slash in bed.